0: Everybody, thanks for joining us on Fintrepreneur. This is Dave and Eli from Merchant Growth and Tabit. Super exciting guest on this episode, my very good friend Alex Benjamin. Thanks so much for joining us. Tell us a bit about yourself, your career path, what got you into fintech and what you're up to today.
1: Great to be here. Thanks a ton, Dave, Eli. My journey with fintech began sort of early, you know, 2010, 2011. I was in financial services from from the time I left university. I was at Macquarie Bank for about 9-10 years. I took a year off work and went traveling for a year and spent 3 months working in Sri Lanka. And I got introduced to microfinance while I was there. And so I really saw the power of small loans to to business owners, really. Um, and getting away from traditional banks lending money and investors coming in and filling the gap where people needed capital and doing it in a really friendly, easy way. And I returned to my... My career back in Melbourne in Australia, where I'm from, and realized that there's so much more to life than working for a bank. And so during that year off, I'd also sort of really explored, just sort of went a lot inward as to like what mattered to me professionally and personally. And I didn't want to go back and do an MBA. And I thought, look, trying to start my own business might, might be a way to, to achieve what I want to achieve personally.
0: Yeah. And then so when did you move to Canada? And then well, when did you start Lendful? And how yeah. did you get that idea and have that all come together?
1: Yeah. Great question. Look, through trying to leave my career and step into entrepreneurship, there's no easy way other than I had to cut my, my source of income and jump into unpaid work to try and build something. And it was a bit scrappy. I was working with actually um 2 startups out of Melbourne who were trying to launch in San Francisco. And they said, Hey, if you want to go overseas and try and help us get started, that'd be great. And it was on that trip in 2014, I met... um the Bixby brothers, Jonathan and Joshua Bixby in San Francisco. And at the same time, I'd met my now wife, who was a Canadian. She was living in Australia. And so these sort of the investors, my girlfriend, like all these paths led to Vancouver. And uh, the Bixby's actually brought me to Canada on an entrepreneur's visa in 2015. So Canada had this very interesting startup visa program, which I applied through. And uh, they gave me some funding to co create a, um, a fintech, a lending fintech, which turned into Lentful.
0: And what was the original business plan? Did that change over time as you kind of got into it?
1: Yeah, it did. Uh, So, look, what was happening? Disintermediated economy, these services that were basically taking out a lot of traditional, cumbersome organizations like Uber, Airbnb. You know, we saw Lending Club start to get a lot of attention uh, in the US. And so we hypothesized could this happen in Canada? Would Canada be a great market? There's a lot of clunkiness a lot of friction in the Canadian banking system. And Macquarie Bank had had a big presence in in Canada at that time. And so, I knew a lot of the Macquarie guys still based in Canada. The stars kind of aligned and we came here with a mission to build a peer-to-peer lending platform. And uh, very quickly learned that that was not possible from a regulatory standpoint. And so, you raise money based on one thing and it turns out to be something different. You, you just got to keep going. There's no side door. And so, what we actually did is we we set out to borrow wholesale and lend retail and so we went on a path of securing i think that's when i met you dave when i was with my pitch deck asking a lot of people for money but how do you get a competitive debt facility to lend out on an unproven platform to uh to retail borrowers who may not pay it back so
2: yeah part of w- what i really liked about you know kind of reading up on you a little bit and going through your linkedin is that you know you discuss a lot of the successes, but you also are very no bullshit approach when it comes to what you learned and and a failure and, you know, why you decided to stop something. Why? So talk us through, I mean, some of the the examples, like, you know, one of them was, uh, care review in, in Australia. What was that experience like? And what, what kind of made you say, okay, we're going to, we're going to stop this one. We're going to move on or, or should we have continued and things like that? Great question. I think culturally Australia
1: is somewhat different, maybe. It's on a d- different trajectory to say other you know other countries in the sense that a lot of people are employed in professional services and there is very much to leap and and build your own thing is pro- you know at that time wasn't really a big thing in, you know in my friendship circles so I found that I hid behind the reality of like what was going on I didn't know how to to build it properly I I wasn't looking at the problems I should have been looking at and I found that. I wasted a lot of time trying to build a beautiful website. And whereas I tried to get out there and speak to more. The care review business was built on a real problem, which was there was very little information about what aged care or senior care facilities were truly like. And Mm -hmm. a lot of families had a lot of difficulty putting their parents in or grandparents into an aged care home to find that it was a really unsatisfactory experience. And so I tried to build this lead gen platform where we could bring people into the top of a funnel basically, and then sell our leads and get people placed into a home. But it's only with, you know, maturity and time. Like I've gone back and actually just shared the real experiences because I think so often you do want it to be success, you know, and it's, Mm -hmm. it's often these, if you can sort of detach yourself from, it's okay to look bad or basically that you fail, then you actually fly faster. You know, it's less armor. If you're trying to carry carry around an exterior that isn't real, it's very heavy. I think, and so I found the sooner I could just let go of that stuff and just talk about it, it actually just helped me move faster.
0: That's awesome, Alex. So let's riff on that. I'd like to understand that a bit more. Uh, mm-hmm. So you were really focused on the website, but you weren't, you know. Now in hindsight, uh, in your view, kind of taking the right steps to actually scale a business—is that? Kind of dive into that a bit more.
1: There was just this constant tension of other people are going to do what we're doing. You know, uh, it's a race. You know, we're on, we've got to get out there, we've got to be massive, we've got to go quick, we want to be national. And the reality was we just had to slow down and get some paying customers. We just had to get really close and solve meaningful problems for real customers in a small, measured way before taking on the world. And so had I been more thoughtful and taken more time to just drill into like, what's the problem? Why have you logged onto our website? Like, why have you dropped down the funnel? And I look, it was a year. It was really a year of full time work on care review, but it was like two or three years of my headspace. I was thinking about it a ton. And, um, but the best part about it is I took that straight into lentful. And, you know, from the time I got here in March 2015, we closed our alternate, alternate debt facility by the December. And so. Eight, nine months, it just, it just gave me this accelerated focus to get in there. I'd go and, you know, we issue somebody a loan. I'd give them a call and go, can you tell me about why you borrowed our money? You know, I'd love to hear from you and just share what you were, what's the problem we're solving for you. I didn't want to to get get
0: to revenue more quickly. Essentially, yes.
1: And, and just that customer story is key to unpacking the thousands of others that will be in a similar way or experiencing a similar thing. And it's just, Those clusters of people that, if they knew about us, they would purchase from us. And you know, there's always a trend. There's a trend there, and so it became a a really great thing for people to not have to go into a bank, not have to wait two weeks to get a no. They could just get a really fast yes or no from us online, and they would be prepared to wait a day or
0: two. Yeah, I I know from some of the fintechs that you currently advise that that's a a bit of um, a theme of yours. Get to revenue, get going, learn from actual transactions. And that actually really resonates with me and, and how I've gone about things as well. So it's, I think that's it's, great it's, advice.
1: It's been great watching like Elon Musk's recent Netflix program about you know rockets and the future and just how their approach, yeah, to space. NASA, yeah, and their, their approach versus NASA's was, we'll just keep launching rockets into the sky and see what happens. And it's kind of similar here. I think for most startups, it's just, let's start lending money. Let's get some data points. We have to take a portfolio approach. Let's go do 20 loans. Let's go do 10 loans. Let's see what happens and just start seeing how people, you know. And as you get more data, it's like fishing, you know, where's the, where are the fish swimming? You just keep seeing where you get the best conversions. You can hypothesize all you want until it's real time. It's, yeah. the,
2: you know, Alex, the challenge is definitely real, I think, for any company, including ourselves, to try to want to serve everybody. Right, so you're offering a product, and then that product can be used in so many multiple verticals, different types of ways. And so, you know that, that advice really sort of rings true for us as well as I think anyone else. So, like, how, how do you focus on it? What do you? How do you choose? Sort of this yep. is the path we got to take. Is it? Is it from the customer feedback, or how do you guys go? How do you? How go do you
0: figure it? out what the beachhead customer is?
1: Yeah, first thing that springs to is patience. So, like, being patient, building a model, and going like, what does success look like? You know, can Mm -hmm. we stage our growth? Can we have month-on-month growth or will it be just lumpy, like bang, 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 bang? So I think having advisors or people who've run their own businesses before come on board and just support you through like, how should our first year be? Where should I focus? And literally, the first three months could be like, who's the perfect borrower? Who's Mm -hmm. this hypothesis? So what I did, Eli, is I, I actually, I spoke to about 185 other fintech executives in the first three or four weeks before I even started the business. I got on LinkedIn, reached out cold, told people, Hey, I'm starting my own business in the fintech space. I'm really nervous about a few things. Customer acquisition costs being one of them, bad debts, cost of funds, is there something I'm missing here? Yeah, like, could you, would you be open to talking with me? And I just went to people outside Canada. I just went to the US, the UK, New Zealand, and Australia. And people were just super like helpful. People, people said, yeah, mm-hmm. I think your numbers are about right. And I just built a data set over three or four weeks from all these conversations. And I made great relationships like Brad Lensing at um, Prosper and uh, met some of the lending club founders. Um, and just, you know, I was out in Connecticut and uh, John Donovan, who was one of the founders of the lending club, was like, Shop in and have a coffee. So I did, you know, and like you just after just reaching out to people and just saying, like, yeah, how did you think about these problems? How did you solve them? And you start your your business with sort of better data just through just chatting to people.
0: Yeah, I think That's that awesome. once, you know, once you're more established as an entrepreneur, your business is a bit more established, conversations become a lot more what's in it for you, what's in it for me. And in those early days, people just want to help. And it's, people are super open and it's just, uh, I found that as well. And that's just kind of a beautiful time in in the entrepreneurial story where you can really take advantage of just getting tons of advice and meeting tons of people. And, you know, it's, it's, yeah. And also when, once you become more established, you also don't have the time to do that as much. So it's, it's kind of a critical mm -hmm. early, uh, early stage that's, you know, you need to take advantage of.
1: Yeah. Well said. It does get harder as you mature, as the organization grows. I think what it does remind me is that you can always get back in the call center. You can always get back on the front line as a as a leader in your own organization and just listen to what's happening. Because the way your staff or the way your, you know, your loans clerks interact with customers, it could be like changing conversion rates a ton. You could be finding out that people are just like ending conversations before they've really had a chance to explain what they're looking for. And and you can if you go back to the front line, I find like you can just Keep learning
0: forever about your business. Yeah. I think it's important get out of the ivory tower and down on the ground floor and see what's going on. Let's keep going. So, uh, you know, we've kind of talked through to parlaying the learnings from, from Review, moving to Canada, starting Lendful. You mentioned briefly getting that wholesale facility with Alterna. Let's Mm -hmm. kind of dive into uh, the Lendful story in a bit more detail and, Mm -hmm. you know, what the main learnings were from there and and so on.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Let me just share. I can just share a few things. You guys fire back questions too, but these are sort of the memories. You know, I came out of the gates with two strong competitors, Borrowwell and uh, Grouplend, which became Grow. We were all trying to do similar things. And so it very much, there was, I think, healthy competition, which there should be, but it was also competition for capital, equity, and debt. Less about the customer. I think in terms of people would, would have tried to quantify that. Less about worrying about being able to get customers. There were plenty of customers out there. We had to differentiate really quickly and understand what sort of business model we had. Were we just going to lose money at all all costs to grow, or would we try to do it profitably? I what I said before, it started out being like this peer to peer lending marketplace, which turned very quickly into, "Well, we need to borrow." I went and saw the BCSC, so the Securities Commission in British Columbia, and it was just we had to borrow on balance sheet and then lend that out, which is a very different model to peer to peer lending market and model. But you know, I think. The hardest thing of any lending business is getting the debt. And you know, I think you can find angel money, investors who will back you, who want to, who believe your vision. You need to have a really good vision. and a great story. But I think, unquestionably, the most phone calls I get and people wanting help with is to do with getting a debt facility. And um, the reason is, it's just you got to get it back. If you're lending money, you're in the business of getting your money back. It's really easy to give somebody $10,000 loan. It's very hard to necessarily get it back from them. And so lenders are naturally curious as to how you're going to get it back for them so you can repay them. And so I think I borrowed money from angel sophisticated investors who were prepared to back not only the equity side of the business to run it, but they also lent us some to fund some of those initial loans. And so this important aspect of we just got into the business of lending, it really built a, a stronger case to go pitch for debt capital saying like we've we've put out 100,000 dollars of loans. We've done 200 grand now. And of course, at that time, you're like, we're running out, we're running out of money, you know mm-hmm. but the reality is to um people see what you're doing, and if if you do run out of money, you just stop lending for a while and that I sort of had all of these all this pressure on myself, where I was like, you know, actually, we could just slow down our loans, we don't have to we don't have to keep lending it out all the time if it ever got to that. And what subsequently happened is, you know, I just power dialed. I kept uh, getting introductions to other lenders and, um, Rob Patterson at Alterna, the CEO there said no to me, I think five times. And you know, I kept asking, I was like, Rob, we've done more. He's like, great. Come back to, come back to me in a week or two. By the time they said, uh, yes, I had two other offers on the table, which he said, okay, we'll do this. And at that time when he said, we've decided to go ahead with you. I just, I was kind of speechless because I was so exhausted. I was like, you know, we just, uh, we're, uh, our backs feels against the wall. He's like, you don't sound that excited. And I was like, I'm excited. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was pretty amazing. That's awesome. Man. It's different these days, of course, but it was, it was definitely the earlier days of what, what do you think is different these days? It's seven years on. I think market understands what's happening much better. And there's just, I think a more accommodating and. I think the executives within financial organizations in Canada understand what's happening better, but, you know, they probably see hundreds of pitches, but they, you know, they're looking for really interesting hacks on customer acquisition, you know, cause they can keep lending money. It's just, maybe you're getting, maybe you can get to a borrower that they cannot. And so they just, I think they're educated. I think people's education is better. Let's not forget Mogo was around a lot longer than I was. GoEasy has been around for a long time. Others have been, you know, this is a, it's just a different, thing. you know. It's just a different t- type of lending that have had it with, that continued to evolve when I came
0: around. What would you say is the single most powerful differentiator if you're a fintech that lends money?
1: Customer acquisition. You have to have a great channel that is something that no one's seen that pays very
0: well. You know. <laughs> Agree. The rest is back end table stakes. Although you do need that debt capital and you need to manage your balance sheet well. That's usually what causes. Lending businesses to fail is actually nothing to do with performance of their loans or customer acquisition, it has to do with stability of their funding base. But that's, I guess, really, it's ultimately table stakes.
1: Yeah. And I, I think nurturing that customer relationship. So in the lendful journey, we we ended up with um, partnering with mortgage brokers. You know, I, I learned out of Australia that if mortgage companies have a personal lender, lender in their ecosystem, they can convert five to 10% more mortgage. And that the banks were all like very pro on personal loans. So, Society One was very big in Australia. So, I went and met those guys when I was there. And they had just started to like adopt this credit score, credit checking funnel, the engine that's like get a free credit check. And that's sort of how Borrowwell and Source Andrew Graham adopt that pretty quickly after they did that as well. And so, this notion of, yeah, personal loans help convert five to 10% more mortgages. I started to like really back check that as much as I could, and people people kept saying the same thing. Yeah, yeah, personal loans really help you convert a mortgage because we were we turned on the the online portal to drive leads into the business. We're getting like hundred applications a day. Like, whoa, <laughs> there's no shortage of demand. So it was just all about the quality of getting the right borrower. Look, our book at our book at Lendful when we ended up being acquired by Peoples was I think um, seven fourteen credit score average, low bad debts and we just we found that we just kept getting great clients through the the mortgage brokers channel because we we could see that brokers higher up the funnel brokers could bring in a younger couple for example just or, or somebody who's like got a personal loan who wants to refinance some credit card debt you know these are all the things i didn't know beforehand but what we started to see was if you get away from interest only debt to a principal and interest loan your credit score increases so you get this lift you know let's say over 3 months of being like a Near prime of say 650 to suddenly you got a 695, 700 credit score, which immediately makes you a better, better bet for a bank to offer a mortgage to. Additionally, what's great is if you get off interest only debt is that in your pre-qualification for a mortgage with a mortgage broker, you basically are able to afford more mortgage by not having an interest, you know, a line of credit on your um, statement of position. So. I can go into the metrics of that, but we just sort of saw these little angles, and we just started to educate mortgage brokers on this. And so we did a partnership with M three, which was great, and they really supported our product, you know, the personal loan space. And then they ended up bringing in uh, Fairstone and I think BorrowWell as well. And you know, we ended up being part of the portfolio of personal loan offerings to M three's customers.
0: That's very cool. And then Alex, eventually, you di- you sold the business. Mm-hmm. Take us through that and what you sort of parlayed into next.
1: Yeah. So. The sale, I mean, it was what, over a three, four year period. So it was fast and furious. And being on balance sheet was certainly somewhat dilutive and it could only get more dilutive, but it was also very profitable. So, you know, we had a very good cost of capital and we were, you know, we had a good spread. So it was great for us. So we started to evaluate what do we do? You know, do we go and do a big raise or do we start to look at our options? Being an entrepreneur, it's, you know, three years feels like 30 years in the fintech and lending space. As you know, Dave, uh, perhaps. But that was certainly my experience because it was just, it was game on, you know, it was very competitive and it was just like, go, 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 go. Yeah.
0: I'm 12 years in. So by that math, it feels like <laughs> 120 years.
1: We had some interesting options. You know, we, we looked at more capital and we also looked at uh, somebody had suggested doing a deal and we're like, this is interesting. And so I actually got out there on, on my own and went out to my relationships just to understand like who, who would be interested in, in buying us and uh, grant Kenzie to his credit at Peoples. He's ex Macquarie. He was the CEO of Macquarie's mortgage business in Canada. He's like, we'll buy you. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, very quickly within 24 hours, he just, he basically sealed the deal. It was, it was great. And so, um, we did a deal and, you know, I got, got through the, uh, the OSFI process, which I learned a ton about and, you know, kind of got my, my PhD in Canadian banking and, uh, securities law. I went and worked with people's for, uh, for basically a year and started 4A with Wes. So, yeah, it took quite a while to like, you know, settle and you know after after doing a big transaction like that. I mean, the the swimming upstream is something you miss. It's the thing you hate the most, but it's also the thing that you yearn for the most after you've after you've uh, separated from it.
0: Yeah, I hear that. Perhaps we should have mentioned this uh, earlier in the episode. But you, you are an equity investor in our business. You know, you've obviously heard my pitch on Tabit, mine, and Eli's. Vision for what we're doing with that. What what about that? Do you think is exciting and, and got you excited to the point of, of actually writing a check?
1: Well, back to this five to ten percent of mortgages stat. You know, there aren't too many other businesses like Afterpay, for example, that could come out and quantify really clearly that they added fifteen to twenty percent more spend at checkout for merchants. And as you know, like after I after we sold Windfall, I um, was looking at Afterpay in Australia in twenty eighteen thinking. I've got to build this here in Canada. And so I ran around town and suddenly had a few million dollars of, you know, soft circle that people saying, we'll back you to do it. Went and saw Chip Wilson, did the grass grind a couple of times. He's like, I'm not going to invest. I can't do this right now. But next time I see you, you're either going to be worth $30 million more or you'll be 30 kilos heavier. And I, I, I thought where I ended up, this is very easy for, say, Visa or MasterCard to turn on. And Afterpay will probably come to Canada and North America. And I don't know if I've got enough runway to go at it. However, if someone could do an iteration of this, like in the business space, I thought this would be interesting to look at. I just continued to look at the space a ton. Every time I saw a new press release of somebody, you know, starting it or going after it, I was like, oh shit, you know, I've missed it. (laughs) But look, frankly, Dave, like, you and I've got to know each other a lot. And a big thing for me is trust, you know, and a big thing is getting to know somebody well. And when you decided that you were going to go after it, um, Cam Burke had actually mentioned it to me and, and I was like, hell yes. You know, I think there's something really here. And I think it's going to be like with everything, it's like taking a risk, putting, putting aside some capital, being saying like, you got to go and spend it and invest it, you know, and and give it to somebody who, who can execute. And so like I, when I saw that you were trying to build Tabit, I thought, yeah, like this makes a ton of sense for me personally. Go give us give it a crack and see whether you can get some customers on board and solve a meaningful problem for people. So, in a roundabout way, I think it's just that it's proven so well in B two C, and I think consumers who understand it, who run their own businesses, will say, "Hell yeah, you know this makes a ton of sense." So, I think go hard.
0: Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it. I'm humbled at the kind words, man. Appreciate your trust. I think. um There'll
1: always be competitors for good products. There'll always be the next. There'll always be somebody else trying to do this. I think the advantage or the unfair advantage you guys have is that you know you've got your arms around so many businesses already, and it's just like, how can we help you grow more, make more money? How can we add value to you? And that could make it a lot easier to get into the into the growth side of the business for you once you've got the tech done.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. I do think that small business credit is trickier in, in some senses than consumer for sure. And, you know, we've spent a long time figuring that piece out. And I think that really will allow us to build Tabit in a way that's really sustainable and a great platform to to grow over time. There's one thing that I think like the future that's
1: really interesting for me is just around this business lending space. And I think, you know, the space that we're in now of of investing in other businesses, smaller businesses that aren't necessarily tech focused but they're sort of traditional product businesses is that there's a big space for private equity financing, if you will. The banks have traditionally held very tightly to. And I think you're starting to see, you know, more and more platforms pop up with easier ways to finance, like acquisitions to investments, to raise debt for your own business with financing on uh on receivables. And, you know, I think that space is really interesting as well. So you guys have got such a great cornerstone at Merchant that Tabit's probably just the beginning of something that I can see other products launching out of this at some stage, which I'm really excited about. That's interesting,
0: Alex. Yeah, you know, our thesis for, you know, merchant growth from the very beginning, and it applies to Uh the Tabit point of sale, checkout installment loan product as well, is that the traditional banks are very rigid in in how they underwrite small business. They're, I think, a little more flexible once you're sort of mid-market commercial bank level, but I still wouldn't describe them as flexible. So I can understand how there's now more options becoming made available to get acquisitions done in sort of the mid-market space. So that's quite interesting and something we should definitely keep our eyes on as well over time.
1: The guys at BUPOS, POS out of uh, Portugal, I think they are. Platforms like that are just, yeah, they're really starting to take off and it's it's
2: super
0: interesting. Interesting. I'll look those guys up.
2: No, that was great. Thanks thanks so much for taking the time, Alex. This was really valuable, great conversation. And yeah. uh, let's keep in touch. Awesome. Thanks, thanks for having t- me on.
0: Thanks for yeah, tuning in to Fintrepreneur. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Really appreciate you guys listening.